0: When we think of Easter in the Christian world, we think of an empty tomb. Praise God for the empty tomb. The greatest story ever told didn't begin at Easter. It also doesn't end there. The greatest story ever told actually begins with you, and it begins with me. It begins with our sin and our sin nature inherited from Adam and Eve. This sin created a huge problem. It forced separation from our Creator God. The solution to that problem was a pure sacrifice in love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A love story. The greatest story ever told is just that. A love story. The setting for the main scene of this story is on a hill where an old rugged cross stood holding that sacrifice of love suspended between heaven and earth for you and for me.
1: mourners stood gathered round the hill that day as Christ became the ultimate sacrifice of love. When he cried, it is finished, this chapter was closed. Darkness fell, the veil was rent, the sacrifice was made, the debt was paid. People turned to walk, slowly walk away in sadness. His mother, Mary, carried intense grief Picture in your mind how she watched his bruised body, removed from the cross and gently carried to the tomb. He was dressed in grave clothes with a napkin carefully laid over his face. After final goodbyes, the stone was rolled in place and sealed. God stood by just to be sure, but then something happened. When that day comes, the day that you lay eyes on Jesus, I promise you this, my friends, you will never be the same again. All that you did in your past, that won't matter anymore. Because Jesus was the sacrifice of love who paid the debt for all you have ever done. Just when you think that your story has been written, Jesus came and he changed everything. You'll never, ever be the same again. That's why he died. More so, that's why he arose. He is risen, hallelujah. Risen to set the captives free. Risen to ransom you and me risen to bind every broken heart, risen to conquer death and to conquer sin, and risen to bring us all home again.
2: When darkness veils the sky, the day that Jesus died in agony upon the bitter cross.
3: He took his body down and laid it in a tomb. His friends believed that everything was lost.
2: friends, is the greatest story ever told. Chapter one, I am a sinner. Chapter two, Jesus is the answer. Chapter three, he is a sacrifice of love. Chapter four, he is risen. Chapter five, he is coming back to bring us all home again. So my friends, as we look at the cross this Easter, let us look to it as motivation. As a reason to keep going, as hope in despair, as the solution to our biggest problems, as our promise of eternal life. So rise up, my friends. Weep no more for the cross that he bore, but glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is there that our debt was paid as the ultimate sacrifice of love in the greatest story ever told.
4: Thank you very much. I appreciate all the music and the work that's gone into those beautiful songs and the preparation. If you would please take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18 and stand with me, if you would please. Everyone in the building, stand. Uh, This morning, we have uh, not only have it available to you in your Bible, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you did not bring one, that's okay. We want you to read along on the screen with us, if you would please. John chapter 18. So grateful to have each of you here this morning and a very happy Resurrection Day to all of you. John chapter 18. And let's begin reading in verse number 28. We'll conclude in verse number 40. If you allow me to read, I'll read along and then I'll have you join me on several verses. So follow along verse number 28 of John chapter 18 in our New Testament. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas, into the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? And They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put a man to death. Would you look at verse number 32 and 33? Read it with me if you would, please. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying of what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again. Verse 34, the Bible says Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell, it of thee, tell thee of me? And Pilate answered, I am, a, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee to me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered unto the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is in the truth heareth my voice. Would you read verse thirty-eight with me together? Pilate saith unto him, What is and saith unto them, I will not know him. Verse thirty nine and forty says, But he but ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And they cried, they all, then cried they all again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Our Father, I thank you very much for the chance to share your word today. I know many are praying, not only for this service, but for multitudes of service taking place around the globe. Today is a day in which we can stop for a moment and reflect on the resurrected Savior. Please, I pray you would help me to share with clarity the importance of uh, the resurrection, but also the importance of salvation and understanding how to accept this resurrected Savior is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. David Siemens was a missionary. He had the joy to lead a Muslim young man to the Lord. He explained to him the gospel of Jesus Christ, and though this young man had been raised in the Muslim faith, he readily accepted the Lord Jesus and accepted him for forgiveness of sins and became a child of God. His friends asked him, why? Why have you changed from Islam to this Christ? He said it this way, he said, buddies, if you were traveling down a long road and you did not know where you were going, and you see a fork at the road, and there are two men at the fork, one is alive and the other is dead, which one would you listen to? Jesus is alive. He is alive, and that is what the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ tells us. It's a fact of history that there is an empty tomb. Had the joy at your hand to go and see it uh, last year in December, November, or December a year ago. We stood there, and right beside that garden tomb is Golgotha, the place of the skull. It's an ugly mountain. Underneath it, a little hill, is a smelly bus stop. On top of it seemed to be the place where three crosses were at one time 2,000 years ago. The, 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 the skull is still there. You can see it's kind of ugly. It's not treasured by the world, and a bus stop is right there, but right beside it is a garden, and that garden we were taken through and saw different things and watched different things take place. and. Then they took us to a hole in that mountain. And uh, it's an empty tomb that they believe that is where. And I remember getting in line with many other tourists that were there with me and looking into there and wondering what it would look like. You kind of had to put your head down. I certainly had to. Put my head down and go in there and look to the right and there say there laid a little shelf there where they put the body of the Lord Jesus. and It's where the two angels talked to Mary where they, whenever she sa- they sat there and there was an empty tomb and there were clothes on the ground and there was a napkin folded at the head of that. And uh, then that was where Jesus was outside where Mary saw her. You can read all about that and we'll talk maybe more about that a little bit tonight. But... the the whole thing revolves around what happened to Jesus. See, the Bible's about Jesus. The Bible is 66 books in one, and it was written over a period of 1,600 years, from the first chronological writer, we believe to be Job, until the last writer, John, who wrote the Revelation at the end of our Bible. But from start to finish, the The theme of the Bible is how can sinners like us be reconciled with a God who's not a sinner? How can we be saved? How can we know for sure that when life is over, we have eternal life? That's, That's the theme of the Bible. God is not willing that anyone would perish or go to hell, but that all would come to repentance. A change of mind about who Jesus is. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, as he walked on the road to Emmaus with two other disciples, he said, all that's in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets and the Psalms are concerning me. They're about me, guys. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus is God in the flesh. The Bible tells us in the beginning was the word and the word with God, and the word was God. In chapter 1 of John, verse number 14, he says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory uh, of the only begotten of the Father, full of two things, grace and truth. There are 89 chapters in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Over 20 of them cover just the last few hours of the life of Jesus and his resurrection. So a large part covers a very small, he lived 30 and a half, uh, 33 and a half years. But most of it is not about, we have a little bit about his birth, a little bit about his, uh, his upbringing. We have something that happens when he was 12 and there's silence until he's 30. We have a little bit about his baptism and a little bit about his ministry and, and his teachings and his miracles. But much of the Gospels is about his death and resurrection. And John especially, beginning at verse number 13 through verse number 20, covers the last, or verse 19, covers, chapter 19, covers the last 18 hours of his life, the last day. In John chapter 13, if you read your Bible, you'll see that Jesus has the Last Supper. He... He washes the disciples' feet, showing his servitude and the importance of service and humility. He is betrayed, and he sends Judas out to betray him. And Judas has already figured out things, and he's on his way and dismisses them. And then he looks into the eyes of the disciples and said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In chapter 14, verse 6, he says that famous verse, I am the way, the truth, and the no man cometh the Father but by me. In chapter 15, he tells them that it's important that I go away so that when I go away, the Holy Spirit will come. Every once in a while, we'll say, when you get saved, you ask Jesus in your heart. And yes, I understand that, but Jesus, the Bible tells us, is in heaven with God the Father seated on the Father's right hand, awaiting the opportunity to come back and get us. But when I got saved, I didn't get Jesus' body in my heart. I got his spirit in my heart. Ephesians 1 verse 13 tells us that we were sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise when I got saved. He tells us about that. Chapter 16, he is in 15. He, of course, he walks to and 16 talks about the Holy Spirit. 15 is the vineyard. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Chapter 17, he takes his disciples up to the garden. Of all the things I enjoyed in Israel, I I, I don't think, I I might forget some things I saw, but I'll not forget the garden. The garden is a special place. It was a place where Judas knew he could find him there because he had oftentimes spend time with his father in prayer at the garden. And he went there and he prayed The prayer, probably the the greatest prayer ever recorded in the Bible is John 17. It's where Jesus prays to the Father before he goes to the cross. And you were in that prayer. I was in that prayer. Not by name, but for those who would one day hear the gospel. He prayed that you would receive it. You would accept it. And you would believe on him. In that prayer he prayed, and he intercedes right now for us too. But while he's in that garden, chapter 18 comes. We just read from it. The Jews and the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, they have tried to exterminate him. They tried to execute him. They had tried to stone him, but that would not be the way that he would die. In John chapter 12, verse 32 and 33, Jesus predicted that he must be lifted up He would have to be crucified. The Jews did not kill people that way. They they stoned people to execute them, or they even cut their heads off, but not not crucifixion. But Jesus predicted and he told them, I'm going to die, and I've got to be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. It was not necessarily be lifted up as a a place of worship, but it it would be suspended between heaven and earth. The only way you can get to heaven is through Jesus. He predicted that. And so the the time came where the Jewish, it was night. It was the night before Passover would start on the next day. But they had a kangaroo court. He went to six hearings. After he was arrested, they came to him in the garden Judas leads them to where he is with 30 pieces of silver in his hand or in his pocket. And he tells them who I go to see. That's him. And we find that Jesus was fearless when he heard them coming with sticks and staves and lights and yells. And who is he? He didn't wait for them to come. He stood up and he went to where they were. He said, who who are you seeking? He said, Seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I'm him. I am he. I am. And they fell back on their backsides. And they got back up and they said, okay, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. Peter impulsively grabs a sword and starts swinging at somebody and chops his ear off. And the Lord Jesus helps him. Malchus was his name. But they take him that night and they arrest him and He goes through somewhat of a kangaroo court in the middle of the night, breaking two of the Jewish Jewish laws. They should not do a capital trial at night, number two, and they would not execute someone on the same day as their trial. They broke their own rules, but it wasn't about honesty. It was really a prisoner that was innocent and a prosecution that was corrupt. They came at him hard and... They took him first to Annas, and he uh, he was the father-in-law of the high priest, and they accused him there, and then they went over to Caiaphas. He was the high priest at the time, and John, the beloved, had access. He, he was familiar with the high priest, and he had been there before to his home, and he got access, and he got Peter access, and that's where Peter, of course, denied the Lord outside the courts of what was taking place inside. And then possibly the Sanhedrin. And this all happened from the evening until the morning. And when we pick up our reading in John chapter 18, the Jews have already gone three hearings with Jesus. He will go to three more. They accused him religiously of blasphemy. And if he said he was a son of God and he wasn't, he would be a blasphemer. But he was. He was God. He was the Son of God. So everything he said was true. But they did not believe the truth. They did not accept the truth. John chapter 8 and verse number 45, the Bible tells us that Jesus, speaking to them over and over again, he says, I have have given you the truth. I have told you the truth, and you believe not. I keep telling you the truth, and you don't believe it. But now it's early in the morning, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, most scholars believe. And they take him, the Jewish police and the Jewish uh, the leaders there, and they take him down. They didn't have to deal with the large crowds that day because it was early on. They, and they walked to Pilate's place. So hypocritical, they didn't want to go into a place of the Gentiles themselves because they wanted to eat the Passover later that day even though he had been through all kinds of shenanigans that night. They had broken their own laws, they had, they had, but they just had a fierce anger toward Jesus. And they come to Pilate's hall, and they didn't go in, they stay out, but they got him in. And Pilate is frustrated, it's early in the morning, and he said, What are you doing? What have you brought? Who have you brought to accuse here? And what is your accusation? What is the criminal charges? They didn't answer that, except for with this. If he weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. If he wasn't a malefactor, we wouldn't he didn't answer their question. They did not. He just said, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have brought him to you. They we said, well, just take care of him with your own law then. And they said, no, for some reason, they were not allowed to put a man to death. Maybe they had abused it in the Roman Empire. And, of course, Pilate... He's inconvenienced. It's early in the morning. He has, he has no, he's just, he's just blindsided by this, by this uh, mob. And now he sees a man who has been punched and slapped through the night, jerked around, taken out of a garden, mistreated, but not like he would be in, under Pilate's authority. But he comes to him and Pilate sees him and he says, you know, Take him and judge him yourself. And he says we can't put him to death. He needs to die. He said, well, what has he done? He brings him in. He said, well, why are, why are you here? And uh, he, said, uh, he, he said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, where did you hear that? Jesus, in a respectful way, I think, says, you know, are you asking because you want to know or who told you this? I'm the king of the Jews. How did that come? And no doubt Pilate had gotten his ear to the ground and knew the news on the street that people are saying he's the king of the Jews. He didn't say that. He did claim deity and he was deity. But people were saying that and he said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, well, are you asking? Or are you asking because you heard someone else say that? He said, look, I'm not a Jew. You could see the the, uh, the uh, problems, Pilate and the Jews were not good friends. They didn't like him. He didn't like them. They were just something to deal with. They had just another subject, and they were oftentimes trouble for him. So he hadn't, He didn't really want to deal with them. He said, look, I'm not a Jew. It was your priest, It was your high priest, your people that brought you to me. He said, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, if my kingdom were this world, then my people would fight for me. They would, they would deliver me. We wouldn't have been subject in the garden to be arrested. We don't have to be there. We could, we could be somewhere else. And we could fight them off. And we could do what we need to do to defend ourselves. He goes, look, it's not about what's happening now. It's about what's happening in another world. A kingdom that is not now. And of course... Uh, he said to them, Well, you come here, and you came here to this world, he said, you know what, I was born to be a king. That's why I was born, and that's why I came, to be a witness of the truth. We just read it a moment ago. And Pilate, here looking at Jesus, he was looking at the personification of truth. And he said, what is truth? what is truth? Here he was staring at truth right in the eyeballs, and he turns around and say, what is truth? Have you ever been confused? Have you ever been wondering what in the world's going on? What's the right thing to do? Who is telling me the truth here? In politics, we can get confused. I think in 1992, some military movie, and I don't know what it is, but I heard it again, or heard the statement. Brother Anthony Collins writes a beautiful uh, script for for, um, for our, our Valentine's play, and it's really neat. But I remember hearing a girl in the Valentine's play as she was arguing with someone about the truth. She said, "You can't handle the truth." Maybe you know where that came from. Well, Pilate was having a problem with the truth. It was right there in front of him, but he did not, he didn't acknowledge it. And the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 24, the servant of God must not strive, but be gentle with all men, apt to teach and patient. In meekness instructing those that oppose himself. if God prevents would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Pilate never got it. I don't know if it's true, but some historians say he went crazy, insane, trying to wash his hands. His hands became a bloody, because, you know, John doesn't tell us, but in other gospels tell us that he, he got publicly, he was so tore up. He was under great conviction. His wife said, hey, leave that guy alone, I've had nightmares about him, he's an innocent man, you know it, I have nightmares about him, don't touch him, leave him alone. And he wanted, to, he wanted to let Jesus go. He tried every way he could to appease the Jews and let him go, and it wasn't working. Pilate, they tell us that uh, Josephus says, and I learned this this morning, that he was from Spain. He was part of the army that came through the Roman army. He saw that they were on the winning side. He said, I'm going to go on them. He eventually, I guess, married the daughter of Caesar and got a political appointment. He wasn't probably the strongest leader, but because he was in the family and because he was a fighter and a soldier and he, he got the opportunity to be here, but he's in a pickle and he doesn't know the truth. That's his question, what is truth? I wanna tell you a couple of things I think that we need to take, take into consideration we'll, be, we'll leave this morning. Number one, I want you to notice here how we can be blinded from the truth. The truth is personified in Jesus Christ. But many people don't accept Jesus for several reasons, sometimes because of inconvenience. It's not convenient. You know, Pilate was approached with the truth at six o'clock in the morning, approximately. How many of you are alive, awake, and enthusiastic at six o'clock in the morning? Only the weirdos, okay? I'm just telling I'm just joking. Here at 6 o'clock in the morning, guys are yelling at him, calling his name. He comes out on his porch. They're shoving this malefactor in in his court with maybe a soldier there who is not interested in taking the Passover. The religious leaders are out. He's inconvenienced. Some people are blinded to the truth of Jesus because it's not convenient for them. Some people are blinded because of his foes. They're, they're, you know, there's a lot of, you know, it's interesting. I was talking today to our discipleship class, and what a great group of people are in there. Enjoyed being with them this morning, and, and thank the Lord. For that. Our, our topic was the Word of God. But, you know, it's interesting to me. One of the things I know that Jesus is real, God is real, is the world around curses his name. You can't hardly watch a movie that doesn't curse God, of the Bible and his name Jesus. I don't think many of us remember anyone who said, oh, and they called out a name of a Buddha or Mohammed and damned his name or Confucius or some other uh, religion. No one damns their name. No one cries out a curse word, Ah, oh, Mohammed. No, they use Jesus Christ. Walk on the campus of our average public education where, where sin abounds and where, where Christ is, is mocked and where atheism and humanism just flows like a river. Walk on the campus with the writings of Buddha or, or walk on the campus with other writings of, of other religious, New Age religion or Scientology. Get, get a whole book and maybe just walk on there with it over your heart. See what happens. Nothing will happen. No one gives a rip. But walk on there with a Bible. I've done it. People say, hey, I don't, I don't think you're supposed to have that here. So I think we have some prohibitions to have in that book here. It's one of the proofs uh, of the foes. Some of you are blinded because your teacher at school told you that anyone who believes in Christ has a, has a weak mental crutch. It's not important. Oh, you believe like that. You're a hellfire and brimstone. They make up stories against that. Well, the mob was here, already hell-bent on getting Jesus to die. There was no no true trial. He would be tried three more times. Pilate would try him here, and he would send him over to Herod Antipas, and Herod uh, didn't want to deal with him, but did ask him if he could do any of his miracles or tricks for him while he was there. Send him back to Pilate and then eventually sent to the cross. We find here, he was blinded to the truth. But you know, there was one more thing that caught my attention in study this week. He was not only blinded by inconvenience, he was blinded by the foes of those who were against Jesus, he got caught up in the the opinions of others, but he was afraid. Would you look at chapter 19 and verse number eight, would you please look at that in your Bible? Chapter 19, verse number 8, read it with me. Would you please? The Bible says, and when Pilate therefore heard that saying, what does it say? He was what? So he was already afraid, but when people said he says he's the Son of God, it made him even more fearful. I wonder how many people will go into eternity without Jesus and without the assurance of salvation. Because of fear. They're afraid. Fear kept him from believing the truth and acknowledging the truth. Fear is a terrible thing. The devil is the sinister minister of doubt. He's the sinister minister of fear. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 1, verse number 7, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You know what fear does? It affects your thinking. He he was looking at truth and didn't even know what is truth. He was fearful. I won't turn there, but I want you to listen to a verse I'll quote in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8. In the book of the Revelation, it tells us what's going to happen, future events. And there's a place called the lake of fire. In chapter 20, verse 15, the Bible says, And death and hell were cast, we see the word cast in the Bible, put out of the presence of God into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And whosoever was not written in the Lamb's book of life or the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In Revelation 21, verse number 8, the Bible says, And the fearful... And the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's interesting to me, he he lists some pretty nasty things there. Whoremongers, sexual sinners, murderers, idolaters, a lot of horrible, abominable, horrible, uh, heinous people. But you know the first one on the list? And the fearful. Sometimes fear blinds us from the truth of accepting the gospel. But today I don't want you to be blinded. I want you to believe the truth. Pilate never did. Pilate, the reason we know about him mostly is because he he comes on the words of God here. We know that he had a wife that was upset with him. We know that he had Jewish people that were upset with him. They wanted this, but he didn't, he had truth. looking at him right in the eyeballs and he didn't recognize the truth. Well, Jesus said three things to him. I want you to notice. Number one, he says, the truth I'm talking about, the truth you're trying to find is not of this world. It's a spiritual thing. This pulpit is physical. My shoes, they're physical. The television screens, the orchestra instruments, it's all physical. But everyone has to be born physically, but they have to be born spiritually. He said, look, the kingdom I have, we're not talking about you being in charge of, of this area of Pilate. We're talking about another world. We're talking about a spiritual realm. And I wanna tell you real quickly, because our time is fleeting, I wanna tell you the truth that Pilate couldn't find, but you can. We heard it this morning already. Here's truth number one. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. And Jesus loves everyone. He loves you. Anyone who goes to hell goes to hell unsaved, but no one goes to hell unloved. God loves you. And his shed blood is not what gives you eternal life. It's his applied blood that gives you eternal life. The Bible says he gave, he's the propitiation, not just for my sins and your sins, but the sins of the whole world. But the whole world's not going to heaven. But everyone needs Jesus. Number two, the truth is, the reason we need him is because we're sinners. And sinners deserve to go to hell. Pastor, that's strong on an Easter Sunday. We're talking about the resurrection. Get a little more positive, will you? The only way I can get positive is if I get negative first. The gospel teaches us, number one, that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you think for a moment you can go to heaven on your own ability, you're wrong. You're not a bad person, but you're wrong. The only way we can have eternal life is understanding first that we need it, and we can't earn it on our own. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, not one person can go to heaven on their own righteousness. So, well, I'm not too bad. You're not being compared to other people. You're being compared to Jesus. You can say, well, I'm better than that person, better than that person. Can you look at Jesus and say, I'm just as good as him? No. We all come short of the glory of God. The second thing is the price of sin is death. The Bible's very clear. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And God is talking about two deaths, a physical death that separates you from your body. This Wednesday, I'll stand at a gravesite, and as I did last week, and once again, I saw a person in a casket, and their body was there, but their soul was gone. They had been separated. People were weeping around the body of that person. Do you know why? Because they're separated from them. Death separates. The first death separates the body and the soul. The second death separates you from God forever. You don't have to have that second death. The first death, you want to die when you're 116. No one wants to live in this body forever. It's not made forever. It's made for just a short time. You do have an eternal body forever in the heavens if you know Jesus. But the first death is going to happen to everybody. It's appointed to every man one time to die, after that the judgment. But the Bible says the second death is to be separated from God eternally. If I have to pay for my sin and you choose to pay for your sin, we're going to be separated from God in a place called the lake of fire. But God loves us. And on the cross, he did all that was needed to be done. So what's Easter about? It's about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus the innocent died for you and I the guilty. And he offers us a gift. Most people believe that if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to earn it. The secret of eternal life is to learn that it cannot be earned. It's not a reward for doing right things. It's a gift that Jesus paid for. He was separated from his father, so you and I would not have to be separated. But a gift has to be two things. It has to be free. That's why you can't earn it. If someone bought you a layaway thing over here at Walmart or at JCPenney's or Target, and they said, just go get it. And you say, well, let me pay for it. They would say, no, you don't have to pay for it. It's already paid for. You don't pay for something that's already a gift. If if you pay for it, it's not a gift. But a gift has to be accepted. I remember when I uh, accepted the gift of eternal life for me. And everyone who goes to heaven is going to have a time and a place when they believe and receive Jesus. They accept him. That needs to happen. The first thing you need to believe is if you're a sinner, you can't save yourself. Number two, G- that our sin deserves death, and that Jesus died for us. And on the cross, he did all that was needed to be done so we could be saved. Number four, the ball's in your court. Say, Pastor, how can I get that gift? You don't get it by taking it with your hands or going to Target or Walmart and picking it up. No. You take it two ways. Here's what the Bible says. With the heart, a person believeth unto righteousness. They believe that it's not their righteousness, it's the righteousness of Jesus that can give me eternal life. And with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. See, Pastor, how do I get the gift? Here's how I did it. Someone loved me enough one day, and they took the Bible, and they showed me that I was a sinner. I deserved hell. Jesus was my only hope. It took me a little time to process what I, what I heard there. I was convicted. While they were talking on the outside, someone else was talking on the inside and said, that's true, John, you are a sinner. You deserve hell. Only Jesus could save you. But I was a little bit stubborn, and I wish I were not. I wish I would have accepted the Lord right at that moment. But I went home, and I'm glad that God followed me home. And he began to continually, the Holy Spirit said, John, you're a sinner, you deserve hell. Only Jesus could save you Accept his gift. I got on my knees beside my bed. You don't have to be in your bedroom, but that's where I was. I asked the Lord to take my sin, and I would take his son. See, you leave this world one of two ways, with your sin, and a fair trial with the God who knows everything about you, or with God's Son and a free pardon. Take your choice. You can say, you know, I'll take my chances. I'll go into eternity with my sin. You'll have a free trial, and you'll be forever cast from the presence of God. Or you can say, Lord, I'll take your gift, your gift of eternal life. The Bible tells us this, he that hath the Son hath everlasting life. He that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You don't want to be in the wrath of God. You want to be in the grace of God. I accepted the Lord that night. I am so glad. And that night, two things, many things happened to me. But the first thing, now I I am a child of God. I've been born again. I'm saved now. I didn't save myself. I did zero to save myself except to put my faith in what Jesus did. See, it's faith in Jesus only that gives someone eternal life. See, Pastor, do I have to work to go to heaven? You can't. It's not of works. But when I did that, I became God's child. I was born again. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus said in this same book, John chapter 3, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. What does it mean to be born again? The Bible tells us this. He says... That as many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So by believing and receiving his gift, we're born. Not of blood. Your parents cannot birth you into God's family. Not of the will of the flesh. You can't do enough good things to earn your way to heaven. It's not possible. Not of the will of man. Boy, I tell you what, I know there are many people here that want everyone in here to have eternal life. But I can't make you get saved. You couldn't make me get saved. It's an individual decision that God does when we believe and receive his son. Have you done that? To my knowledge, I don't think Pilate did. Pilate was looking at truth, and he didn't believe it. I hope you'll be different than Pilate. I hope that you'll believe and receive the gift of eternal life.